Well, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Tim, and it's a privilege to be back at uh, Lakeside. I was uh, here for about seven weeks at the end of last summer while Lakeside was waiting for Pastor Bryant to arrive, and uh, I have followed with interest uh, what God is doing in and through Lakeside, and it's just really, really privilege to be back with you today. Gordon MacDonald, the author and conference speaker, has remarked that truth flies best on the back of a story. Interestingly, during the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, he told a number of stories. They've come to be known as parables. The parables of Jesus were high-impact stories because Jesus would, would tell these stories to communicate or illustrate some valuable truth that could impact the way that people relate to God. There's some captivating dynamic to that axiom that Gordon MacDonald has articulated. Truth flies best on the back of a story. And today we're going to think together about a story that Jesus told, a jarring parable, honestly, a very sobering story that Jesus told about a guy who had misplaced his security. I'd like to pray right now and just to ask God to come and help us during this time as we look at his word. Father in heaven, your word is alive, it's true. Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. He's savior, he's champion, he's redeemer, and he taught with amazing authority. And right now in these moments we ask that you'd give us ears to hear so that lives might be in some way transformed and so that your fame would spread. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have uh, perhaps heard the story that I heard many years ago about uh, a husband who loved his money more than anything. So on his deathbed, he advised his wife, when I die, I want you to take all my money, and I want you to put it in the casket. It's more important to me than anything. And his wife dutifully promised that she'd follow through with his wishes. At his funeral, just before the funeral directors closed the casket, his wife put a steel box in the casket. And a friend who was familiar with the husband's request said to her, I know you weren't foolish enough to put all of that money in there with that man. She said, well, I promised him that I would. And the friend indignantly said, you mean to tell me that you actually put that money in the casket? And the wife responded, I certainly did. I wrote him a check.
During his earthly ministry, Jesus told a story about a guy who was captive to a similar love of money. He was a guy who had some faulty assumptions about life, and he had some distorted presumption about security. Ultimately and sadly, this guy in Jesus' story, well, his presumption could not have been more costly. If you have a Bible with you, you could turn right now with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, chapter 12, and we're going to be looking today at verses 13 to 21. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you could go there, just turn the ringer down, or you could follow along. This passage is going to be on the screen. We begin in verse 13 of Luke 12. Someone in the crowd, it was a crowd that was around Jesus. At this point in his life and ministry, everywhere he went, crowds followed him. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he, Jesus, said to them, now he's speaking to the whole crowd that's around. This question had come from an individual, and now Jesus is speaking to the whole crowd. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This ancient story has a contemporary edge to it. It's kind of unsettling. Ironically, the love of money can distort a person's perspective about what's truly valuable. Isn't that ironic? It was surely true of this guy in Jesus' story. Jesus offered a categorical statement to that first century audience and the Holy Spirit who's with us in this room right now today. The Holy Spirit offers the same axiom to us. Jesus said in verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, when Jesus speaks to this issue of money, he knows us. No one knows you, no one knows me better than Jesus does. Frankly, He knows us better than we know ourselves. 
He knows how vulnerable we can be to the lure of misplacing our security. On one occasion, Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. My own sense is that Jesus is challenging each of us to honestly ask ourselves a probing question, a probing evaluative question. Do you serve God and use money, or do you serve money and use God? It's a diagnostic question. It's a question that I believe percolates just beneath the surface of this sobering story that Jesus told. Interestingly, and we need to say this, the Bible does not teach that wealth in and of itself is sin. God never says that money in and of itself is evil. What God does say through the pen of the Apostle Paul is that the love of money is a serious issue. This is what we're told in 1 Timothy 6.10. It's on the screen. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, now, I need to say this. God may sovereignly choose to entrust a man or woman or a family with substantial resources. He may choose to do that. Job was a godly man, and at the end of his life, he had exorbitant material resources. King David, a man after God's own heart, had excessive wealth. Money received and managed to the glory of God can result in great blessing for many. So the issue is not how much you have, but what's your attitude toward what you have. And it's interesting that a love of money can afflict someone with much and someone with little. All of us who've grown up in this culture are at least vulnerable to measuring success by what you've acquired. And consequently, even serious Christ followers are tempted in real, real subtle ways to misplace our security. Perhaps that's why Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. We practically tend to serve one or the other. And frankly, friends, I'm speaking to my own heart as much as I believe Jesus is speaking to all of us in this place today. Frankly, the trajectory of your whole life is radically influenced by your choice of masters. For the record, 
Jesus wasn't bashful when it came to talking about this issue of money. In fact, uh, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus says more about money and or resources. He says more about money than he does about faith. Jesus says more about money than he does about prayer. Not surprisingly, the Bible includes a record of a parable that Jesus told featuring a guy who had a lot of stuff. And this guy in Jesus' story oriented his life around money and the things that money could buy. Evidently, he was one of those guys who was so focused on making a living that he apparently failed to make a life. What prompted Jesus to tell this story was a real curious request that came from a man who was in a crowd around Jesus. We read it in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. (laughs) Apparently, this guy in the crowd was really uh, stressed because... uh, Family relationships were in tension as a result of frustrated expectations about who gets what in the estate. And relationships were being ripped apart because of all of this. In verse 14, Jesus responds with an interesting statement. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge? or arbitrator over you. Now, what's interesting about that statement is, as a teacher, many people refer to Jesus as rabbi. As a teacher in that culture, Jesus would have had authority to speak into this dispute. But he chooses not to. Instead, he tells a story. Now, watch this that speaks to the larger heart issue that's just beneath the surface of this man's question. Isn't that just like Jesus? He is always aiming for the heart, right? He's always aiming for the heart. The seat of our affections. The place where our priorities well up the seat of our will. Jesus is always with us. Friends, now listen to this. Because he loves us, he is always aiming for the heart. In verse 15, we read that Jesus uses this occasion now to address the whole crowd. He's not just responding to this man who he can see is burdened and 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 who has an issue percolating just beneath the surface, but he addresses the whole crowd. And he said to them, take care, and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, 
It's ludicrous to measure a person's worth by his or her net worth. The story Jesus told is recorded then in verses 16 to 20. That's really where we find the story that Jesus told. It's a sobering story. It's a story of tragedy. There are two characters in this story, God and a guy in business. The guy's industry is agriculture, and in this story, (laughs) business is really, really good. It's really good. The story begins in verses 16 to 17. And he, Jesus, told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere (laughs) to store my crops. Here's a guy with inventory problems. His fields are so prosperous that the yield exceeds capacity. His current system of storage is outdated, and he finds himself with the lucrative challenge of surplus supply. The harvest far exceeded his projections, and his profit margins make him the envy of every other business in the area. But how is he going to sustain it? How is he going to stay at the top? story continues in verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. (laughs) Relax. Eat, drink, Be merry. That was the credo of the ancient Epicureans. Eat, drink, be merry. Strategically, he decided to expand his operation. He thinks to himself, I'll be set for life, but it's going to require some additional investment capital. He decides to increase storage facility. You can almost hear this guy in Jesus' story. You can almost hear this coming through. This guy telling himself, I'll anticipate every contingency. I'll ruthlessly prepare for every eventuality. The pot of gold at the end of the rainbow will be mine. I will make it happen. So it will be mine. This guy in Jesus' story sounds a little bit like the three-year-old who picks up a toy and defiantly says, mine, mine. Friends, listen to me. Believe me, the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. I'm vulnerable to this as well. Inevitably, that can happen to the person who becomes captive to a love of stuff. They frequently use the word mine. Jesus continues the story in verse 20 with a sobering conclusion. But God said to him, 
fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This is Jesus, Jesus Christ, telling this story. And it's really disarming. This guy in Jesus' story had ordered his whole life around growing his portfolio and increasing his financial assets. But it seems his careful preparation failed to ready him for the one certain eventuality that everyone will face. He was going to die. He'd oriented his life around temporary stuff, none of which would accompany him when he died. And now he stood before God. His physical life was over. And as this entrepreneur in Jesus' story stood before God, God was soberly constrained to speak a one-word summary over this man's life. Fool. God said, fool. Friends, honestly, think about this. What other word would you use? What other word could more accurately describe the man or woman who presumptuously supposes that their little kingdom will last while essentially ignoring the kingdom of God, which Jesus said will never end? This guy in Jesus' story turned a temporal obsession into an ultimate priority. It, you know, it just kind of seems like this guy was captive to the temporal illusion that more is enough. And that's an illusion, you know, because more is never enough. The next acquisition never entirely satisfies. Author and speaker, Pastor Francis Chan has remarked, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And in Jesus' story, I believe with grief, God says, fool. That's the unnerving way this story ends in verse 20. And I expect there was a long silence as Jesus looked around at that crowd. I expect it was as quiet then as it is in here right now. The story was finished. 
After the parable was over, Jesus made it clear that the story had a pointed and relevant application. In verse 21, Jesus said, looking at the crowd, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. To put things ahead of God is the ultimate foolish assumption. In this provocative story, Jesus is at least saying this. It's on the screen. What ultimately matters in a person's life is the lasting worth of their treasure. I want to say this again because I'm praying, honestly, I'm praying for myself that this gets pressed more deeply into my own heart and I'm praying that God the Holy Spirit who's here will, will press this, will seed this into the hearts of people gathered here. What ultimately matters in a person's life is the lasting worth of their treasure. The Holy Spirit is here today urging us to seek first the kingdom of God. The one who reigns over that kingdom, Jesus, is the one who secured for those who would trust him the privilege of citizenship in that kingdom. He died on the cross to pay the debt related to our sin. Over 500 eyewitnesses in the first century saw him risen and alive. We have their testimony. Jesus Christ is treasure. Jesus Christ is the all-surpassing treasure of infinite worth. To have Jesus is to be rich. Now watch this. With security that lasts. This is the way Peter put it in 1 Peter 1. An inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. This story that Jesus told in Luke 12, friends, this is about real life, isn't it? This is about real life. David Platt, in his uh, excellent book, Radical, writes this. It's on the screen. While the goal of the American dream is to make much of us, the goal of the gospel is to make much of God. Can I get a witness? <laughs> you see, God the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who shared this story, he willingly left all the privilege that was his in heaven. And he humbly came to a stable in Bethlehem. He lived an extraordinary life marked by compassion and miracles. He taught with incomparable authority and died according to plan, according to plan, in the most poignant expression of love that history has known. And who on the following Sunday morning walked out of a tomb having conquered death. That Lord Jesus Christ, 
said to a first century crowd and by his spirit, he says to us today, be rich toward God. And as a friend, you know, I loved my time here last summer. I got to know many of you. I love this fellowship. As a friend, I appeal to you at Lakeside. Make much of God. In all of your days, in all of your ways, make much of him. Before we leave this story, we need to be sure to recognize that Jesus is not saying that there is something inherently wrong with being entrepreneurial or successful in business. That's not at all what Jesus is saying in this story. The Bible commends hard work and good stewardship of resources. The issue, the issue that Jesus is raising in this story is whether or not you let money usurp God's rightful place in your life so that you end up bowing before stuff. That's the issue in this story. From this story of impact, Jesus is teaching that what ultimately matters in a person's life is the lasting worth of their treasure. John Ortberg is a a pastor and author living in Menlo Park, California. And he illustrates the truth of this parable that Jesus told with a story from his childhood. So so here we go. This is Ortberg speaking. He said, My grandmother taught me how to play the game Monopoly. She lived in our house for many, many years, and she was a lovely woman, but she was the most ruthless Monopoly player I have ever known in my life. She understood that the name of the game in Monopoly is more acquisition. When we played Monopoly, I'd always want to save money and hang on to it. She would accumulate everything she could, and eventually she became the master of the board. Every time I landed on one of her properties, I'd have to pay her. And eventually, she'd take my last dollar, and I would quit in utter defeat. And she would say, Johnny, one day you'll learn to play the game. I hated it when she said that. So one summer, I played Monopoly with a neighbor kid almost every day, all day long. We'd play Monopoly for hours, and that summer, I learned to play the game. I came to understand the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. And by the end of the summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I learned how to win that game. And I sat down with her to play that fall. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, I drove her off the board. The game does strange things to you. (laughs) My grandmother was a widow. She had raised my mom. She loved my mom. She loved me. I took everything she had. (laughs) And then she had one more thing to teach me. 
she said, Johnny, now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. Jen Arpberg says, I wanted to leave the board out, bronze it maybe, as a memorial to my ability to play the game. No, she said, Johnny, none of it was really yours. It all goes back in the box. And years later, as he reflected back on that experience with his grandmother and what she taught him, he concludes, the game always ends. For every player, the game ends. It all goes back in the box. And so it is with us, friends, right? Our things all go back in the box. Properties, investments, autos and boats, bulging financial portfolios, even your physical body, it all goes back in the box. So you have to ask yourself, what really matters? What lasts? What endures? What will really be my legacy? The Lord Jesus has the last word. He said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. So Lakeside, family, don't misplace your security. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, don't misplace your security. Lakeside, be rich toward God. Make much of him. Father in heaven, this is a really provocative story. It's a sobering story. And God, I pray you'd give us ears to hear and a readiness, a willingness to let your spirit seed this provocative story in our thoughts, in our hearts, to the end that there would be transformation and that your glory would be on display. In Jesus' name, amen.